So this summer, we're just taking some time to uh, think about Jesus. Novel idea, I know. But it's, it's a time for us to really focus in on uh, what does Jesus say for us? And so many times we can get so busy with all of the activities of summer uh, because it's nice out. We want to capitalize on every possible moment and opportunity of good weather because here in the north, it's few and far between. Um, so we take that very seriously. And so that's what we're trying to do. Last week, Paul, Pastor Paul talked about being connected, that the branch to the vine, and, and how we need to stay uh, in that communion and, and connection with God. And this week, um, we're going to talk about grace a little bit. And so over the last few um, months, I've been trying to do more reading. Okay, so that may sound a little odd. Well, that's, that's nice, Pastor Pastor Mitch, well, I love to read, but for a long time I haven't taken the opportunity to do so. It's been one of those things where I'm just too busy, I can't take the time, and that in itself is not a bad thing, but there is a problem with it because I go and I find a book, and I'm like, oh, that looks great, I'm going to read that. And so now I start accumulating all of these books because that premise looks good or, ooh, that would really, you know, that speaks to me, whatever the synopsis is. And so now I have this pile and stack of books all over that I haven't read. You know, the, the list continues to grow more and more. So we've arrived at this point where I have all these books sitting around and I have good intentions about it. I want to read these. I want to follow through with them. And so I've started to do that just over the last little month, couple of months. Um, and after I read my Bible in the morning, I've taken some time to, to go through some with just a, a little bit of a devotional thought. Um, a few that I've read recently are Costly Grace by John Walker or Jesus Greater Than Religion by Jefferson Bethke and Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And it's amazing that each of them have had similar themes or ideas. Like, obviously God is at work here doing something that I need to hear about. And because of this, I've been thinking a lot about grace. Now, Grace was a really nice lady. Okay, so now I know the temperature of the room a little bit and and how it's going to go. So seriously, though, I've been reading about the grace of God. And each book has different things where it's just pointing about grace and following after Jesus. And what does that mean? And it's not the grace that I grew up with. It's not what I learned or thought that I had learned. And I have to say, this has been a great reminder for myself over the last few months. And in many ways, I've been convicted and challenged by it. Because it's not the grace that I had learned. It's something different. There's more to it. So I have grown up in the church, and I've heard about the concept of grace all my life. I was probably hearing about it while I was still in the womb, that Grace is there for each one of us, that God has given us his grace. And I've always known about grace in my head, okay? So I know about it intellectually. I know that grace is there, but I haven't always let it sink down. What does that really mean? And I've not always allowed God's grace to transform me continually, day by day. What does that mean? But I love how God works in our lives, how he brings these reminders through his Holy Spirit. He reminds us of his truth, that grace 
is amazing. And he reminds me that it's a gift. It's not something that I can earn. It's not something that I can obtain by doing more and more and more. He freely offers his grace to each one of us. And he calls to each one of us. And he just simply says, follow me. Now, if we were to define grace this morning, some of us would say something like, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Something along those lines, and a lot of us would nod in agreement. Yeah, that sounds like a good definition. I think that sounds good. And while it's a good answer, I think sometimes it can be kind of an academic answer. Like, you know, we learn in vocabulary in elementary school. Grace equals unmerited favor of God. And I think intellectually, yes, that makes sense and it's true. And we know that in our mind that it's the unmerited or undeserved favor and gift from God. But, as the character Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride says, I do not think it means what you think it means. Okay? Track with me for just a little bit. I don't always think that we catch the full power of what grace is and what it means to us. I think we can say it's the unmerited favor of God. Possibly we can just recite that in our sleep. It's just, that's what some of us, if we've been around the church for a while, that's just what we know. But I think there's so much more to grace than we sometimes realize. And if we would allow God to do so, he would transform our lives radically. It would change us completely in our, our, the way that we think. So let me try to illustrate this idea of grace by telling a scene from the music Les Miserables. Okay? Some of you have seen it, some of you haven't, and that's all right. I'm going to just set a little bit of the stage because it's the story of a peasant man, Jean Valjean, who's sentenced to hard labor because he stole a loaf of bread. Okay? It was in that time in the French post-French Revolution era, and things were rough. So he stole a loaf of bread, and he's sentenced to hard labor. Now, after a time, he's released from jail, and John is offered brief sanctuary in the home of a priest. And even though the priest treats him with dignity and care, John steals the priest's valuable silverware and runs away. Well, lo and behold, the next day, John is brought back to the priest's home by the police. And they tell the priest that John has claimed that the silver was a gift. The priest gave me the silverware. The police obviously expect the priest to deny John's claim and call him out as a liar and a thief. But instead of talking with the police, the priest addresses Jean Valjean. And he says, there you are. I'm glad to see you. But I gave you the candlesticks also, which are silver like the rest they would have brought you 200 francs. Why didn't you take them along with your plates? Why didn't you take all of it? And the police at that point realize that they are not going to have a case against Jean Valjean, so they leave. And the priest then goes and approaches Jean. And he says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. It is your soul that I am buying for you. 
And as the story continues to unfold, Valjean goes on to live a life of grace, and he goes about supporting the poor and ultimately adopts a young orphan. Now, if we take that academic definition of grace, we can see that John received unmerited favor from the priest. The priest showed him grace, that unmerited favor. But beyond the little dif- literal definition, there's a call to something more. You see, Jean was guilty of stealing. And the priest had every right to press charges against him and haul him off to jail. But he didn't do that. He not only didn't press charges, which would have been what Jean deserved, but he gave him the costly candlesticks to fund Jean's fresh start in life. He gave him that opportunity, and he then challenged him to live a life that was good. Don't just go back into your old ways, Jean. Do what is good. And in a similar way, I think we can see the equivalent that God has done for us. He's withheld from us the condemnation that we deserve as sinners. He doesn't lord it over us and hang it over us as a guilt trip. Instead, he's offered us the gift of his grace and salvation. And he simply says, go and sin no more. He trusts that we will have a desire to be changed and be formed in the image of Jesus. And we can see on one level that grace is the unmerited favor of God. But I think we also need to be reminded today that while grace is free, it is not without cost. Romans 3.23-25 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. God's gift of grace has been freely given to each one of us. And we can see that the gift has come at a cost. It came at the cost of his son, Jesus Christ. He paid the bloody price to offer us the gift. He was a human sacrifice for our sins. The good news is that we've been given grace and our sins are forgiven. And I think all of us can say, woohoo! Right? Thank the Lord. You know, whatever way you give praise, um, that's, that's what it is to us. We say, thank you, Lord. But there was a cost to provide that grace, and it came through the bloody, brutal death of Jesus. So the question today is, how should that affect our lives as believers? What does that mean for our daily, go-forward lives? How do we operate with this grace idea going forward? So if you take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about it. Because this was a question or an issue that even the first century believers had. They were facing this question of, what do we do now that we've been saved, we've been forgiven, and God's grace has been bestowed upon us? So Paul, in his letter, in Romans chapter 6, addresses this impact to our lives as followers of Jesus. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So in these verses, Paul shows us that there are two ways that we can approach grace. Through our lifestyle, we can view grace as cheap grace or we can view it as costly grace. We can continue on in our sin and say, grace is cheap. It doesn't have a lot of value. Or we can take the approach and say, I'm dead to sin, and I realize that it is costly grace. So first we see a view that was growing in the church, which again, we're going to call cheap grace. There were some who believed that a person could continue to sin. Because God's grace would cover it. Anytime I sin, God's grace is there. It will cover it. And even they thought, through some of these step-by-step points of their argument, they said, okay, well, because I have sinned, God's grace came on the scene. And I'm forgiven. So, if I follow that then in essence, I become close to God because of his grace. Okay? So, then if I sin more, then God's grace is going to come in more. It's going to be more visible, more real, and it's going to cover my sins even more. So, if God's grace is more visible and real, then I'm going to be closer to God. And if I'm closer to God, then it's a win-win. I can sin and I can have God. This is amazing, right? Do you see their line of thought? Even though it's flawed, flawed, it, it's wrong. You know, you can't have sin and have God. And even though they're like, this grace is awesome, it's amazing. Paul is just, I can just see him shaking his head. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Okay? That's not how it goes. You can't sin and have God's grace. You know, there must have been something that was in the Roman wine or something back then. I mean, think about it. Imagine with me a man and a woman who are married. Okay? So, this husband knows that his wife loves him. She loves him dearly to the point that he knows that no matter what he does, his wife is going to love him. He knows the depths of her love, so he says to himself, my wife loves me so much, I can do whatever I want. So much so that I could go out and commit adultery, and she's going to still love me not going to change in the slightest. Her love is still going to be there. It'll be awesome. I don't know about you, but that's sick. 
You know, that's twisted. That's a twisted view of marriage. You know, you take the vows and you say, I'm devoted to this person. And then if you go off and do something like that, that's kind of sick. But let's translate that to our faith for a second now. And it's kind of sick and twisted when we act our, our faith in that way as well. That, oh, I can do whatever I want. It feels good. God's going to come and he's going to cover it and it's all going to be good. That's not how it works. It's not how any of it works. But in America today, many of us follow this cheap idea of grace. Because cheap grace justifies the sin. Cheap grace just says, you're forgiven. It's okay. Just stay like you are. Just say the prayer. You've got all that you need. And you can live however you want. Do whatever you want. Because you have grace. And when we follow the idea of cheap grace, we believe that we can receive forgiveness for our sins. We don't ever have to abandon our lives to Jesus, though. We can keep living our lives just as we always have because our sins have been forgiven. And in a sense, I have my get-out-of-jail-free card. That's all I need. See, I I can pull it out. I got my get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do it. But with cheap grace, there's more levels to it as well. Because I think with cheap grace, we're going to seek the easy life. We're not going to do anything that's going to rock our world or, or rock the boat or, or change anything that we know. You know. Because I don't have to make any sacrifices in life. I can do whatever I want. God's grace is always there. I can just fall back on that. You know, I'll come to church once a week, maybe once a month. And get my little time in and say, you know, God, I haven't been the best over the last month. Can you just forgive me? And okay, good, I feel better now. And I think also with cheap grace, we start to pick and choose the things that we agree with. We pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we agree with. We can have this idea that Jesus just wants me to be happy. Okay? I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to be joyful. Well, when I read that, that doesn't make me happy. I don't like that. I just want to follow happy Jesus. (laughs) So because Jesus wants me to be happy, I don't like the part about not being drunk with wine. I don't like that. I want to be able to do that. That makes me feel good. Or, you know... I'm okay with the parts about not stealing and killing. I mean, that's just wrong. That's just plain wrong. But these other things, they're not a big deal. You know, I don't like that part about tithing. It's my money. Let me have it. Or I'll ignore the part about gossiping or whatever or greed. It's harmless. Who's it hurting? And so with cheap grace, we kind of say, I want to do what I want. We start to excuse our behavior even. And we can, you know, biblically justify it in some ways. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about cheap grace, though. 
He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace requires no contrition, no remorse, no true repentance. We're simply forgiven of our sins, but we're never truly delivered from them. We just kind of wallow around in it. We keep going. I like playing in the mud. You know, don't, don't wash me completely. I'll just get a little, you know, quick rinse and back in. And that's cheap grace. I hope you're tracking with me this morning. But let's look at costly grace now. Because I think this can begin to transform us as, as, we, as we listen to this. Earlier we said that cheap grace justifies the sin. Now costly grace justifies the sinner. Okay, so there's a difference. Cheap grace justifies a sin. It's okay, I can do that, that thing. Costly grace is going to justify the sinner. God's grace justifies us, and it's as if we had never sinned. My sins, your sins, they're all completely forgiven. They're washed away. They're taken away. The things that we regret, the things that we feel sorrow about, the things that we're ashamed of, God has taken that and wiped the slate clean. We are made new. And from that point forward, Jesus simply says, go and sin no more. And with costly grace, it becomes a thing where we want to avoid or abstain from sin. The old things that maybe we participated in, we want to get away from. Because of the grace that we've received from God. It's not that we're following a list of rules. Do not do this. Do this. You can't do this. Stay away from there. We start to do these things because we want to avoid them because of God's grace and the grace and love that he has shown us. We sang about it this morning. His grace is like an ocean, which is very true. And because of that, because it is so amazing and awesome, we want to now avoid the sinful lifestyle. Romans 6.4 said, We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that we too may live a new life. And in verse 3, Paul uses the illustration of baptism to show this change in perspective for the believer. He uses baptism as a reminder of how their lives have changed. Now in those days, a person would make that commitment. They'd recognize the cost. And they would say, yes, that is what I want. I want to follow Jesus from this point forward. And so at that point, they would take them, they'd find any type of body of water, and they would baptize them right away. You know, we schedule ours just because we want to celebrate with as many people as we can and get all the families together. Okay? They would take it and they would go right away. And what they would do is essentially, they would say, okay, we're ready to repent of our sins. So imagine this is the water, here's the person. Okay? So this person says, I repent and I am going to die to my old self to the old sinful ways and behaviors, I'm dying to me, and I'm turning to you, Jesus. And so as they would 
go down into the water, it is though they were burying their old way of life. And as they would start to come back up, they would say, I am new in you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. You are now living in and through me. I'm living for you, and I'm no longer bound to the old ways, to my old habits, to my old behaviors. And it's because of God's grace that we can say no to the old ways. Our old master, the sinful life, no longer has control over us. Praise the Lord. We now have a new master. And we live for our new master, Jesus Christ, through grace. Okay? So we're dead to the old master, to our sins, to the things of the world. And that should be our perspective. And we now have new life in Christ. Now, in his book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidelman notes something about dead people. And hopefully you can track with this. People who are dead don't seem to care very much about what other people think of them. I haven't ever heard a dead person say, I don't like what I'm wearing. Oh, I really need that new iPod. Okay? When you're dead, you are no longer concerned with the things of this life. I think we can take that to heart as believers, as followers of Christ, that when we accept God's grace, we die to our old lives. That old stuff no longer pertains to me. I'm not going to be concerned with that any longer. I'm not going to be consumed with that. I'm now going to focus on Jesus Christ and what he says. And it's now going to cost us something because of that. We're going to give up that old way of life and that old thinking to follow Jesus. Bonhoeffer says this about costly grace. He says, Such grace is costly because it causes us to follow. And it is grace because it causes us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and it's grace because it justifies the sinner. I think how true is that? Costly grace causes us and calls us to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to pattern our lives after his example. Now, costly grace is going to cause us to alter some things in our lives. As we become more obedient to him, as we listen to his voice, some things are going to change. It means that I'm going to have to change some of my habits. I'm going to have to change some of my attitudes, some of my thoughts, some of my behaviors. And it may even change the approach that I take to some relationships that I have. Nothing can remain the same because we are no longer the same. We take on an attitude that says, I will do whatever I need to do to be formed in the image of God. I want to be just like Jesus. I will follow the pattern that Jesus has laid out for me. And it may not happen all at once. But as I let him, Jesus will continue to transform me day after day after day after day. 
for the rest of our lives, if we can have that attitude, Jesus, what do I need to change? How can I be more like you? Costly grace means then that we give our lives wholeheartedly and completely to Jesus. I give up on living for myself, for the things of this world, and I completely surrender to God. I determine that I am ready to abandon my old way of life to serve Jesus. It's like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I will follow Jesus wherever he leads me. I will follow Jesus whenever he tells me to act. I will follow Jesus, whatever that might mean. And this morning I have to be completely frank and honest with you. That is hard. I struggle with this. And even as I'm pulling all of this together and I've been reading these things, I struggle with this. I wrestle with this idea of wherever, whenever, and whatever. Because you know what? Fear pops up and says, Mitch, you can't do that. Mitch, what if you mess up and make it even worse? I can draw on past experience and say, I tried, but I feel like not only did it not go the way that I wanted it to for God, it feels like it went even worse. So why should I try again? Or maybe my insecurities start to get in check. You know what, Mitch? If you do that, people aren't going to like you. People are going to say, you know what, you're just this. We don't like that. We want happy Mitch. You know? Um, or Mitch, they may not think that you're as smart as they thought you were. And wherever that level is, it could probably only go down. <laughs> and I'm confessing before you today that, unfortunately, I've let these things dictate my life. And as I'm going through this, I am just convicted and challenged that I need to make changes. I can't continue the way that I have been, even recently. And it's those things that you kind of are ashamed of. Like, why did I do that? I don't want to have cheap grace. I want to follow you completely, Lord. But over the past few weeks, I've been convicted because that has been my attitude, my perspective from time to time. And I've just started to pray and say, Lord, I do want to follow you wherever you may lead. I want to be obedient whenever you speak to me and in whatever way you may ask. Lord, I hope that you know that's my heart. I hope that you know that that's what I want to do. But sometimes my fears, my insecurities get in the way. I don't want that to be the case, Lord. So I just want your help. Give me strength. Guide me. Help me to be fully surrendered to you wherever, whenever, and whatever. And I believe that as I continue to have that as my heart's prayer and desire, God will continue to guide me. Am I going to stumble and fall? Yeah. Unfortunately. And I don't want to use grace as a, a crutch or an excuse. 
oh, it's all right. I can do that. But I know that when I do, God's grace is amazing and it is complete and it continues to guide and shape my life. I don't have to wallow in it. I don't have to wallow in the sin and, and, and say, oh, that's it. That was my 9,545th chance. But I can say, God, I am sorry. Help me to do better. Help me to do what is right. Help me to follow after you. So today we're confronted with a choice. We can choose to follow Jesus with cheap grace. That cheapened down knockoff version which justifies our sin. And it allows us to just stay the same. I say the prayer. I did the task. But I can just continue on with my life as is. It allows us to seek easy choices that most likely lead to an easy life. Or we can choose to follow Jesus with the full view of costly grace. This grace that justifies the sinner and says, go and sin no more. And it is this grace by which we are saved. But this will cost us something. We may have to make sacrifices and give up things. And on one hand, I'll admit I probably slanted the whole perspective towards one way. So the choice may seem logical and easy in some ways. But I think the decision is very hard. We recognize that costly grace calls us to follow Jesus. And following Jesus can mean that we will need to abandon the life of apparent convenience. The things that we may hold dear and say, you know what, I really like that. But we may have to make sacrifices as Jesus speaks to us. I can't tell you what that's going to be. But as Jesus shapes and transforms us, our lives will become more and more like him. Lord, we just thank you today for your grace. We thank you that you have given it to us as a gift. It is free to us. And even though it cost your son Jesus his life, he endured excruciating pain to offer us grace. We thank you. We take this time to just thank you that we have it as a gift that we can experience. And as we really grasp the whole measure of it, we can see how great and amazing it is and how it continues to transform our lives day after day if we will let you. I pray that we would grab a hold of this today, that we would understand your grace so much more through your word, through these ideas, and Lord, that we would think about what do we need to do to make this change. 
So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I need to ask some questions. And this is that time where it's important for us to consider the cost. Please know I am not trying to make an emotional appeal. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip. I'm not trying to condemn my prayers that I've just hopefully laid out some truth about God's grace this morning and how amazing yet costly it is. So this morning after hearing all of this, will you repent of your sin, giving up your old way of life and choose to walk with Jesus? Will you choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and not be content to just say the sinner's prayer and move on? Will you choose to submit to Jesus knowing that it may mess with some of the conveniences of your life? Will you allow Jesus to begin to alter your way of thinking and behaving? Will you begin to ask Jesus for his strength and guidance to follow him wherever, whenever, and whatever? This is the cost.